The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher at Creekside Bible Church, located in Cupertino, California. Continuing in our series for the summer on spiritual disciplines. The first spiritual discipline, these are in no particular order, the spiritual disciplines, the fundamentals of the Christian faith according to the Bible, uh, fundamentals of what God expects believers, his children, to be involved in as really daily disciplines in their Christian life so that they might have ongoing sweet fellowship with the Lord, walking in the Spirit, and growing in spiritual maturity. Um, they're clear in Scripture, so we just need a reminder in all of these. We always, all of us, need reminders in all these areas. So that's all this is. This is just take an inventory, a reminder of the spiritual disciplines. Spiritual discipline number one was giving, and then now spiritual discipline number two that we're covering today is prayer, or biblical prayer as I'm calling it. Got nine points there. I'll give you scriptures as we go through those, as we walk through scripture together. Um, I'm thinking of 2 Corinthians. I'll just read this verse to you. Paul wrote this to the Corinthian believers in 2 Corinthians 13. At the end of his letter, he gave all this divine supernatural truth that God gave to him that's for all Christians, and then he sums it up with this exhortation after hearing all this divine truth of what God expects of Christians. It's an imperative or it's a command. It's to every Christian. So if you're a child of God, this is for you. This is for me. When we get a command from God, we don't go like this. We welcome it, right? We, we welcome it. We say, thank you, God. Thank you for giving me clarity and direction. Thank you for telling me how to think and how to live. You have my best interest in heart. Thank you, Father. You are the perfect Father. That's how you should embrace an imperative or commanded scripture, if you're really a Christian. So let's do that together with this one. Because it's a challenging one. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it says this. Test yourselves. Test yourselves. That's one trans. Test yourselves. Hey, Christian, test yourself. Or examine yourself. There it is. That's the imperative. That's a spiritual discipline itself. Examine yourself. He goes on to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourself. Evaluate yourself as objectively as you can to see if you are a true believer, if you're an actual possessor of faith and not just a professor of faith, because that's possible. You can be self-deceived. So we all need to do this. Examine yourself. Test yourself to see if you are in the faith, to see if you're really a Christian. And then he says it again, examine yourselves two times. It's emphatic. So what I want to do, I want to join together with you, if you're a believer this morning, to examine yourself, and I'm going to do the same, but I've been doing all week long, examine myself in the faith and pick specific areas. Today, we're going to examine ourselves. How, how are we doing in our prayer life? How are you doing in your prayer life? We should examine ourselves in light of God's expectation for us to be of praying people. So test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you? That is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I haven't even gotten to my sermon yet. What a fantastic verse. Do you not realize, recognize, Christian, that Jesus Christ is in you? Living in you? Wow. Reason he said, there's a lot of implications here, direct correlation. 
well, am I capable and objective enough and able to properly evaluate myself? That's hard to do. And he said, yeah, actually you are. An unbeliever can't objectively evaluate themselves. It's impossible. They are blinded. Blinded by sin, blinded by Satan, blinded by their love for themselves. You, on the other hand, Christian, you have Jesus Christ living in you who is the Lord. He is the judge of all. He sees all things. He lives in you. Yes, you can examine yourself. So, do you not know that recognize that Jesus Christ lives in you unless indeed you fail the test of examining yourself? In other words, maybe you're not a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you can't properly, adequately examine yourself. So there's a challenging verse. So in light of that, let's do that. Let's evaluate ourselves uh, regarding biblical prayer. And the standard by which we evaluate ourselves in these spiritual disciplines, of course, is the Bible, right? Scripture. It's God's word and God's word alone. It is not my own personal agenda. It's not what's popular today. It's not church tradition. It's not what some denomination laid down. It's not what some a best-selling author has said. It's not what some reformer has said or some church council throughout history. It's what the Bible said. This is the only standard. So that's what we'll use. It's clear. It's God's word. So let's look to our prayer life, and we'll just go through these nine principles uh, of what biblical prayer is. And I can't do justice to biblical prayer in one sermon. But... I thought, well, we could at least selectively pick the priorities for a good reminder as a catalyst to, to spur us on, to stimulate us, to encourage us also, or maybe to expo- like an expert, to expose a weakness we have in our prayer life. We need that. So we, we need all of that. So that, that's what I was trying to do. Um, these priorities of biblical prayer, they're simple for most of you. You know, you know them already, but we all need a good reminder. And as a result of today's sermon, as we look to God's living word, we're actually, as we go to God's word, we're actually experiencing a divine encounter with God. So we need to live in the moment and enjoy the moment as the spirit of God is moving and he's living in me and the living word of God. And we're taking it in and that interaction deep within our soul and our conscience and our mind. And that's not to be forgotten or neglected. That's a a one-time unique experience that you have here that you can't replicate in this experiential way tomorrow when you're not here as we're with God's people. So that's one of the beauties of uh, this dynamic relationship that we have with this almighty, awesome God and even more so when we're with God's people corporately together. So here we go. Let's look at some priorities of biblical prayer, one through nine. And... Actually, before I do that, of course, I've got, I want to make us think a little bit, and then we'll answer some of these questions. So here's some uh, things to throw out there uh, just to get our brain going on the topic of prayer so that we can get focused. Uh, here's some questions for all of us. I, and I had to run through the gauntlet of these questions this week myself because I didn't want to be a hypocrite when I got up here on Sunday. And... Uh, I got hurt going through this gauntlet of questions. I I have bruises. Thank you, Lord, for the bruises. Your word, it's a fire and it's a hammer. It's a sledgehammer. It's what it says in Jeremiah. I got hammered. It's God's truth regarding my prayer life this week. Question number one. This is for you, Christian. This is for you, child of God. 
we're going to be all over the spectrum. When was the last time that you went to a group gathering for prayer, corporate prayer with other believers? It doesn't matter how big it was. Seven people, five people, four people, 19 people, 32 people like we had at the last prayer meeting here at church a month ago on a Sunday. Maybe you have a group of people you meet with during the week, your Bible study. I'll repeat the question. When was the last time you, these are for yourself and God, when was the last time you went to a group gathering for corporate prayer with God's people? If you cannot specifically remember the last time you went to be with God's people for and nothing but prayer, it was a prayer meeting is what I'm getting at, or it was a dominant feature of the time to get, we are going to pray and we're all going to pray. That's all over the Bible. It's required by God. It's how the church started out in Acts chapter 1. Jesus rose from the dead. He ascended, and there in the uh, upper room, there's the 12 apostles, the women, and 120 people. What were they doing? It just says they were just praying. That's it. Then you go to fast forward to Acts chapter 4, and God's people were together and continually with one another praying. That's what you do corporately together, not through Zoom. And I'm not talking about by yourself prayer. We're going to get to that. But part of a healthy, vibrant, obedient Christian life is being involved with God's people, the body of Christ. You can't neglect that in your life. I can't either. Then you go to Acts chapter 12, Peter's in prison. And then over at uh, John Mark's house with his mother who had a big house, she had the saints over. What were they doing? It just said they were praying. That's all they were doing. One thing, praying. So this was convicting for me. When was the last time that you went to a group gathering for corporate prayer? Excuse me, number two. How many days a week do you have formal, private, focused prayer locked away in your closet as Jesus commanded in Matthew 6? Remember in Matthew 6? Here's how you should pray. Uh, Don't be like the hypocrites and be showy out in public like the Pharisees. But rather, you go into your closet and after you have shut the door, so you're alone by yourself. That's how you should pray. So this is private prayer. So we've got corporate prayer, then we've got private prayer. So how many days a week on average do you have focused, formal, private prayer locked away, like people like to say, in their prayer closet? Just Again, you're evaluating yourself. Don't compare yourself with anybody else. It's, it's between you and God. I know that we have some prayer warriors in our church. I know that for a fact as one of the shepherds and elders here. I thank God for our prayer warriors who are just, they excel in this area. And God answers their prayers. I'm a beneficiary of their prayers. But this is something that we all need to pursue. How many days a week? Number three, when was the last time you had prayer time on your knees? On your knees. If you're a Christian and you can't remember ever or recently being on your knees, you need to. I need to. On your knees. I don't know if you knew this, but one of the main words for prayer in the Bible, proskuneo, proskuneo, translated many times as worship, it means on your face. But isn't that appropriate? As we go before God who is holy, 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 the sovereign one, the king, the master, Does he not deserve that kind of prayer, adoration, and worship on our, not just on our knees, on our face? 
If the, the Muslims can do it to a false god, what, five times a day? How much more should we be able, willing to do this, committed to doing this to the true God? We're going to see that Daniel's a great example in Daniel chapter 6 where it said that three times a day, that was his habit. Three times a day he is bowing. It literally said he was on his knees. He was kneeling on his knees, praying to Yahweh, faced towards Jerusalem as he was 500 miles away as a slave in Babylon. On your knees. Number four, when was the last time you had 20 minutes or more of private prayer time alone in your closet? Like Matthew 6. Why did I say 20 minutes? That's completely arbitrary. But I think it's got to be an extended period of time. I mean, your private, devotional, focused prayer time in obedience to Jesus in Matthew 6 in light of Jesus said, pray this way, cover the following topics. You can't do that in three minutes. So that's why I said 20 minutes. Then you're, you're working towards the verge of some really quality one-on-one time with God, your favorite person in the universe, right? You want quality time, 20 minutes or more. I'll read it again. When was the last time you had 20 minutes or more of private prayer between you and God? If you can't think and remember, then wow. Good reminder. I'm glad we're talking about this today. Prayer is the lifeblood for the Christian. This is food for the soul in addition to the word of God. You can't function and live normally a healthy life, a healthy Christian life without ongoing continual prayer. You've got to be connected in with the IV to God Almighty. And that direct lifeline, that is prayer. Again, I'm preaching to myself. When was the last time you had 20 minutes of private, deliberate? And I'm not talking about, well, I pray in the car. No, you don't. You probably say a lot of stuff that isn't worthy of being repeated or in prayer, at least the way some people drive. Yeah, you can pray in the car. Actually, we, sometimes we need to pray in the car for safety, but that's not what I'm talking about. That was not what Jesus was talking about. This is, this is deliberate, focused, undistracted prayer. So you can pray in your car. I encourage you to do that, but that's not what I'm talking about here. Well, we pray before dinner. Well, it's good to pray before dinner. Every time Jesus ate something in Scripture in the Bible, he always prayed, always Give thanks. So that's good to pray before dinner. That's not what I'm talking about. This is the discipline of habitual prayer. So when was the last time you had 20 minutes or more of private prayer? I actually went to a seminary back yonder, the master's seminary. At the time, there was a two-unit required class at the master's degree level, and the, the class was called the Exposition of Prayer. It was required. At the time, it was the only seminary in the world that they did research that had a required class to get your MDiv, your Masters of Divinity, of prayer. There were other seminaries that had electives. Not only was the only known seminary with a required class of prayer, it was the only class on prayer that they knew of where homework was you had to pray for at least one hour every single day. And you got a grade for it. Well, that's legalistic. Well, that's what some of the, sem- the seminary students said on the first day. And then as the professor talked, a godly man, he modeled prayer three plus hours a day. Um, 
and showed from Scripture, well, this is a command, this is an imperative, this is a mandate, this is what Jesus expects. And yeah, one hour a day, that's kind of arbitrary. But, you know, and then he'd walk us through it. You would have to admit that it's a command, that it should be daily, that you should cover the following topics that Jesus gave in Matthew 6 and Luke 11. Uh, there are models in Scripture of lengthy one-on-one -on -one prayer from godly people. And he just walked through it all. And then by then you're waving the white flag. Okay, I'll pray an hour a day. And so, and so we did. So what a great discipline. And he held us all accountable, and we tried to hold each other accountable. It was not easy. It was hard. Prayer is hard. Prayer is hard work. Sometimes prayer is not fun. Some people think prayer is boring. But anyway, okay, married people, if you're a Christian and you're married, okay, this is a married couple. Question for you, when was the last time the two of you prayed together? And I mean either holding hands on the couch and at length prayed together, or you're just on the couch and you pray together. Prayer time, married couple. There's nothing that's going to protect your marriage more than that, uh, cultivate and grow your marriage more than that, make your heart sensitive and soft towards one another more than that, if you're mad at your spouse, you don't feel like praying with your spouse. You pray with your spouse at length. Your God seems to melt your heart towards your spouse. I've done plenty of marriage counseling over the years, for 30 years actually. I remember years ago, years, more than a decade ago, just a sweet couple, Christian couple that I know came in for marriage counseling. One of my first questions is, tell me about your prayer life as a married couple after 11 years. Well, what do you mean? Well, when's the last time the two of you... I mean, I got a litany of uh, problems they had. Yeah, those look like marriage problems. Question. When's the last time the two of you prayed together at length, husband and wife? And they, they literally couldn't think of a time in like 11 years. I'm like, wow. God has made you one. You need to be one spiritually. You need to be one in your prayer life. I mean, you need your private prayer life, true, but you also need to be praying together as one. It doesn't have to be every day, but in 11 years, you can't tell me one time? Start with that, and then uh, do that for a few weeks. Come back, and we'll start counseling. I can't help you. Uh, this is part two of that question. Okay, married people, married Christians, when was the last time the two of you as a married couple prayed together on your knees, on your knees before God, or on your face? You need to. If you haven't been doing it as a married couple then, you know, don't get overly ambitious. You know, maybe one of the spouses is saying, oh, yeah, and they're thinking every day three times a day. No, 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 no. Don't go from zero to 90. Just try it like once every four or five months. If you haven't been doing it, try it once this week. I, I guarantee you'll survive. And then put it on the calendar and say, let's do it again on our anniversary a year from now. So, reasonable, attainable goals. It will revolutionize your marriage, your friendship. Instead of running to all the marriage books to get a quick fix, those are easy. They don't work. The hard fix is what God said, and it's called prayer. And it's most neglected. Okay, family, if you're a Christian family, um, when was the last, this means mom and dad or family, you're living together, and you got kids. When was the last time as a family you had prayer time? Now, this could be around the dinner table, uh, but it's a deliberate kind of prayer. It's not just for food. 
just a quickie. Okay, anybody got any prayer requests today? Anybody got any praises? One or two people pray. Maybe it's after dinner and you're on the couch and you have prayer time. But it's family prayer time. Maybe it's a story time. You read a short story and then you pray before bed. But family time. Family prayer time. That's, uh, so think about that. When is the last time? Have you done that as a family? You need to. And then finally, number seven, are you in the habit, Christian, of asking God for specific help throughout the day? Throughout the, oh, dear Lord, help me uh, with this. God, give me wisdom here. Oh, Father, boy, Father, that was hard. Can you help me? That God, can you help me rein in my attitude, my emotion? I can feel the ire going, oh, Father, forgive me. I just spoke, my, raised my voice too much with my spouse or my child just then. And Lord, can you help um, if that doesn't characterize you, then maybe you should consciously think about that. And since where is God or Jesus? Well, number one, living in you. And also I am with you wherever you go under the end of the age, Jesus said. So he is literally omnipresent. And if you're a Christian, he lives in you. He's readily available. God, you know how close God is to every single one of us? A prayer away. He's every, there's nowhere that you can go where he's not there ready to hear you pray. So you can pray all the time, all throughout the day. Look at Jonah. He's inside of a fish. He's going to die. And what does he do? Jonah chapter 2. He prays inside the fish. If he can pray like this inside of a whale and it gets recorded in the Bible, you can pray anywhere. God heard that prayer, burped him up on land. Thank you. That's called an answered prayer. So that was Jonah. So God is readily available. He is just a prayer way. So it's a good idea. Now, I am not good at this. I just, I never have been. You know who I talk to all day long? I talk to myself. That's what I've been doing for years. Why? Because I love myself. I'm just being honest here. I actually prefer myself. I'm biased towards myself. Um, but I have been impressed by the testimony of believers that I've rubbed shoulders with over the years, including some people at this church. Who I just know, they have a habit of just, oh, Lord, help me here. Oh, Father, thank you there. And it's just constant, spontaneous, and these just talking to God. And that reminds me of the shortest prayer in the Bible, the quick, actually the quickest prayer in the Bible, which is Nehemiah chapter 1, where Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the pagan king, pagan ruler. And as the cupbearer to the king, you really had one job, and that was to keep the king happy. And also test his food so that he doesn't get poisoned and die. But keep him happy. Keep your countenance up. Smile. Don't ever frown. If you frown, Mr. Cupbearer, you're fired. We'll get somebody else. You're a downer. Keep, and I'm not exaggerating. So this, was, so this was Nehemiah's job. God sovereignly put him in that position of being the cupbearer to the king. And uh, Nehemiah was overwhelmed by the destruction in Jerusalem, um, being captive hundreds of miles away from where the temple used to be and he's overwhelmed he's devastated he loves Yahweh and he's overwhelmed with grief and the prospect of the future of his country God's people and he's trying to do his job and he's holding that cup as best he can for the king and here comes the king and then the king notices that Nehemiah is not smiling he's not doing his job usually it's off with his head well this king by God's grace didn't do that to Nehemiah and asked him so Nehemiah why is your countenance down It looks like something's wrong. What is wrong with you? 
And it says in Nehemiah 1 that, the, that Nehemiah immediately prayed to God for wisdom. Dear God, help me out. Give, give me the answer. And then, boom, God gave him the words. And then he immediately responded to the king with God's wisdom. That is the quickest prayer in the Bible. That may be the quickest prayer in history. It was spontaneous, ad hoc, on the spot, less than five seconds. Dear God, help me out and give me, give me wisdom to the king before he cuts off my head. In Jesus' name. <laughs> or whatever he said. God answered that prayer. But that's just a spontaneous talking to God. Nehemiah is a model. Some of you are that model. So be doing that. So I don't know. Was that convicting? That was for me. If that was convicting, that's a good thing. That means uh, you're awake. You have a conscience that is not completely seared yet. You love the word of God and the truth of God. And you want to grow as a believer. All right. Well, maybe through this expose, this x-ray, you realize, oh, okay, I've got some deficiency. Whoa, i got some work to do. That's fine. That's good. Test yourselves, examine yourselves, and now we have something specific to work on. But why do Christians not pray? Why do, why do people not pray that should in light of we know what the Bible says? Well, because uh, I would say, I'm going to say most of these are for legitimate, bona fide, real Christians. Many of these apply to me. Why do I not pray as I should? We could probably almost all of us say that. We don't pray as we should. We don't pray as much as we want. Maybe that's what Paul was talking about when he said in Romans 7, I know the things that I should do, but I don't do it. Maybe he was talking about his prayer life for all we know. And I know the things that I do do that I shouldn't do. Maybe that was related to his prayer life. We don't know. We can ask Paul when we get to heaven. Uh, but why do Christians not pray? Because, well, number one, you're self-sufficient. I got another list here for you in case you're wondering. The list is reasons why Christians don't pray as they should. Because they're self-sufficient. God's warned us that all the way from uh, the days of Moses. When you get in the promised land, you got all that wealth and luxury and blessing. Boy, I guarantee many of you are just going to forget me. Therefore, pray. Hey, rich people. Hey, you wealthy people. First Timothy 6. We got a lot of those here in the Silicon Valley compared to the rest of the world. Hey, you rich and literally, hey, you rich Christians. And he's rich. He's talking about money. There's a warning there specifically for wealthy Christians in 1 Timothy 6. Don't forget about me because you are self-sufficient and content with the riches of the world. So why do Christians not pray? Because they're self-sufficient. Oh, I can do this. I got this. Uh, reason number two, Christians don't pray as they should, uh, because prayer doesn't work. This is called unbelief. Prayer doesn't work. I must confess, when I got saved at age 19... Reading the Bible, all these promises. Jesus said, man, you pray and do this in my name and it will be granted unto you. And I'm like, that is awesome. So I just started praying about everything. I'm going to pray for all my unsaved relatives, my parents, my siblings. According to Jesus, they're going to get saved. Years go by, they're not getting saved. Decades go by, they're not getting saved. Wait, what's going on? It affected... There was an adverse effect on my prayer life, my zeal for prayer, I must admit. So there, I had to struggle with unbelief. It doesn't work. Prayer doesn't work. I've had, little, I've had Christians come up to me and say, Pastor, how come my, God did not answer my prayer? Weeping, crying, discouraged. How come God did not answer my prayer? How come God doesn't answer my prayer? 
Well, no, he, he hears you. He is listening. He answers prayer. Sometimes the biggest problem, it's not our timing. Or he answered in a way that you didn't expect. Or he answered in a way that you didn't like. But he answered your prayer. Or he will answer your prayer. But this is a real struggle. Uh, Christians don't pray as they should because uh, they think prayer doesn't work. Uh, some people, Christians don't pray because they have a lack of modeling. They just haven't seen it. Maybe you grew up in a non-Christian home. I didn't grow up in a home that modeled biblical prayer for 19 years. I knew nothing about biblical prayer when I got saved at age 19. So lack of modeling. Uh, with that is uh, some pe- Christians don't pray as they should because there's a lack of teaching on prayer, like this sermon that we probably don't do enough. The last time I preached on prayer was a couple, several years ago. Just like this. What does the Bible say about prayer? At the time, we were averaging about 15 people at the once-a-month prayer meeting for months. For a pastor, that can be kind of discouraging. We have 200 people, and all we get is 15 people once a month at prayer for one hour? Wow. And then I preached on what does the Bible say about prayer on a Sunday. Back then, the prayer night was on Monday. So I preached on what does the Bible say about prayer. The next night, we had 53 people at prayer meeting. As opposed to 15. Were they there out of guilt? No. They were there out of conviction from the word of God. That's why we need this reminder. The Bible. God's word. This is what he expects. So a lack of teaching on the, uh, from God's word on prayer because people are confused. They're told wrong things. Uh, reasons Christians don't pray? Because they're lazy. We're all lazy. Uh, reasons Christians don't pray as they should? Because they have hidden sin in their life. Why in the world would you want to go before a holy God when you're coddling and hiding some gross, compromised, despicable sin in your life? That makes sense. Uh, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a holy and avenging God. So why don't Christians pray as they should? Because they're immature. Spiritually immature is what I mean. You can be 24 and be very spiritually mature in your prayer life, and you can be 67 and have been a Christian for 42 years and be very immature spiritually and have a pretty sloppy prayer life, spiritual maturity. So you can't really gauge that by age necessarily, but it can be a sign. Um, Why do Christians not pray as they should? Because they're self-centered. Because what's prayer first and foremost? You're focusing on somebody else, not yourself. At least that's the way it should be. Biblical prayer is not, dear God, gimme, gimme, gimme. That's not biblical prayer. Biblical prayer, first and foremost, like Jesus said, is pray this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy, holy are you. That's how Hannah prayed in 1 Samuel 2. Holy God, almighty God, sovereign Lord. She had it right. 1,300 years before Jesus gave us Matthew 6. Daniel, 550 years before Matthew 6, did the same thing. God, Holy One, Sovereign, great are you. That's how he started out his prayer. David in the Psalms. This was nothing new when Jesus said, Okay, guys, here's how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
first and foremost, you pray to God and you pray to a holy God. It's not about you. It's not about uh, me. Right? It's about our God, our Lord. But if you're inclined and your personality is this way and your world and your focus and your thought life is uh, self-oriented and you're a self-centered person by nature, I mean, we all are, but some are worse than others. I could see how that really could hamper your prayer life. Um, why do Christians not pray as they should? Because they're just disobedient. Are you getting all these down? <laughs> these, are, these are good reasons. Uh, I have taken these from observation. I have taken these from scripture. I have taken these from my own pathetic prayer life. That's where I came up with the list. Because we're disobedient, the Bible says pray and we don't pray. And then finally, uh, it could be that you don't pray because you're not saved. You call yourself a Christian. You say you're a Christian. <clears throat> That's why Paul said, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith or not. The, the older I get as the years go by, it happened this week. Again. Sadly. It happens every time I go to the Shepherds Conference at Grace Community Church, where you have a gathering of 3,500 pastors, and it seems like every year I go there, I learn of some guy I went to seminary with, some so-called Christian friend I had, who no longer believes in God. He's not a Christian anymore. He left the church. He's an atheist now. So that happened again this week. Of somebody I knew, somebody I baptized. Somebody I grilled on the gospel that we thought was vetted. Oh, I'm not a Christian anymore. Well, really? That, that's tragic. Anyway, um, so those are just some good helps to evaluate, fulfill that mandate of 2 Corinthians to examine ourselves. Okay, here we go. These are pretty self-explanatory. I'll give you the Bible verse as we go through. Uh, what is biblical prayer? 1 through 9. Prayer is talking to God. Prayer is talking to God. So it's conversation, first and foremost. It's about a... And the reason... That's the best definition because of the beautiful simplicity of it. That's what prayer is. You're talking to God. You're having a conversation. He, he's your, if you're a Christian, he's your father. So it's, it's not mechanical. It's not a formula. It's not canned. It's not a mantra. It's conversation. It should just come naturally. This is your father. So prayer is talking to God. And the emphasis there on talking is communication. It's not gimme, gimme, gimme and rubbing the genie bottle and here's what I want and here's my three wishes. No, it's conversation. It's a relationship that you have with another person. God the Father is a person. Jesus is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. This is a personal relationship. Conversation with God. That's how Jesus prayed to the Father. He didn't have all these memorized, canned, traditional prayers that the Pharisees mimicked or that man-made religion routinely tells us to do. Where you just spit out the memorized prayer that means absolutely nothing. Jesus said, don't do that. This is conversation, talking to God, talking to the Father. It's personal. It's intimate. It is deep. It's cultivating intimacy. That's the first and foremost uh, reason to have first to cultivate intimacy with your Father. It's not to get your wish list. Expressing love to the Father in this personal relationship. By the way, that's just completely contrary to every other religion in the world and how they pray and how they uh, tell their people to pray. 
It's not personal. When you become a Christian, we talk about your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That is, that is totally legitimate. My personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you know that other religions, they can't even relate to that terminology? What do you mean your personal relationship? If you're a Muslim, you don't talk about your personal relationship. Let me tell you about my personal relationship with uh, Muhammad. That It doesn't exist. Tell me about your personal relationship with Allah or Hinduism, where their God isn't even a personal God. It's an it, and there's a gazillion of them. So this is unique to Christianity. It's true. The only God, personal relationship. What a privilege to be able to, can, can you imagine just we finite, fallen, pathetic, undeserving sinners, and God has just given us an open door of invitation to go to the throne of grace any time to talk to him about anything? Accessible anywhere? What a treasure. What a gift. So it's not a mantra. And by the way, of the 650 prayers in the Bible, the 650 prayers in the Bible that have modeled over the course of 4,000 years, and they're written out for us, that's, that's a model for us to follow. They're all consistent in that it's just normal human communication from a human being to the creator of the universe. It's articulated language that is understandable. It's real human language. It's not gibberish. That's what paganism was that Jesus was referring to in Matthew 6 when he said, don't be like the pagans, don't be like the Gentiles. They had a, a tradition that went on for hundreds and hundreds of years, centuries of what they did is they spewed out gibberish, mumbo-jumbo, babble, inarticulate words that was not human language that could not be understood even by the person saying it. And they think they will be heard by their many words. Blah, blah, blah. We have a counterfeit of that in the Christian world today. Your private prayer language, supposedly. It's not in the Bible, by the way. And you go into your closet and you just blah, blah, blah. That's not in the Bible. 650 prayers in the Bible written out for us, and it is all intelligible, understandable, human language from us to God. I'll give you one verse. Luke 11, verse 1. Uh, Jesus' disciples saw him pray. They were amazed by his prayer life. Wow, he doesn't pray like anybody else. I never saw my parents pray like that. That's not how the Pharisees told us how to pray, and the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders. And so they asked him, one of the disciples, Jesus, teach us how to pray like you. And Jesus did in Luke 11, verse 1. And he said, quote, When you pray, say... Lego, that's the Greek word. Very important, lego. Used over 2,000 times in the New Testament. Say. Uh, literally what it means, lego means to designate by human words. Lego. That can be silently in the head, audibly spoken, written down. Say. When you pray, say the following, our Father who art in heaven. That's how Jesus taught us how to pray. So we shouldn't be going to any other alternatives of people trying to tell. If people are trying to tell you how to pray uh, in any different way, that's wrong. That's, it's actually evil and unbiblical. It's normal language. It's conversation. It's talking with God. It's intelligible. We understand. We exercise the thoughts of our mind. Some people say, well, this is the purpose of speaking in tongues that's uh, non-intelligible language, a heavenly language. No, that's not. 
Uh, I'll just give you one verse on that. That's 1 Corinthians 14.22. 1 Corinthians 14.22, Paul said clearly from God, here's the purpose of speaking in tongues. Quote, tongues are for unbelievers, end quote. Speaking in tongues, it's for unbelievers. In other words, whoever is speaking tongues, the hearer, the intended hearer from God's point of view, is an unbeliever. So you don't turn that on God. God is not an unbeliever. God is God. You don't speak tongues to God. That's not the purpose. 1 Corinthians 14.22. And tongues in the Bible was real. It was a spiritual gift. Not everybody had it. It was a real language. It was a form of divine revelation. When it was interpreted, it was the equivalent of prophecy. If you spoke in tongues, it must be interpreted. So prayer is talking to God. Number two, prayer is according to truth. Prayer needs to be according to truth. Pastor, how come God doesn't answer my prayer? How come God didn't answer my prayer? Well, you need to inquire, well, are you praying according to truth? What's according to truth? That means in accordance with Scripture, according to the Word of God, according to what He has revealed to us. Because you can pray all kinds of prayers that aren't in keeping with Scripture, and you're not going to have a fruitful prayer life. God isn't going to answer that prayer. You're never going to see anything as a result of that prayer because it is not in keeping with Scripture. It's not just about praying your experience, your feelings, your wish list, or what you want. It's got to be in keeping with truth. And if you pray in accordance with divine revelation, with biblical truth, in line with Scripture, God gives some amazing promises. Amazing promises. One of them is from Jesus himself when he said in John 14, 13, talking to his disciples, disciples, whatever you ask in my name, that's prayer. When you pray and you pray in my name, when you pray in Jesus' name, that means praying according to the character and revelation of Jesus. That, so when you pray in Jesus' name, you're praying in accordance to the truth because Jesus is the truth. For us, the truth is now in the Bible. So as a Christian, we pray in accordance with the Bible and no other way. And when you do pray in accordance with the truth, the word of God, you are in sync with God's will and what God wants. That's the will of God. What's the will of God? It is what God wants. And that's how we need to pray. We need to pray in accordance with what God wants. And he's revealed that in his word. And when you do pray in accordance with biblical truth, here's the promise from Jesus. That will I do. Wow. Really? Yep. Again, we always, you know, the timing and maybe he answered in a way that I wasn't expecting. Or, But if you pray biblical prayer in accordance with the truth, some other verses for you there that we need to pray in accordance with truth. I think of Philippians 4, 8 says, think on things that are true. That's in keeping with scripture. And two verses before that, it was pray. Pray about all things. So he puts them together. When you pray, you pray in accordance with your thought life needs to be in sync with truth. Informed by scripture. Uh, here's another one, Ephesians 6, 17, and 18. Uh, the command is take up the word of God. Take up the word of God. Take up biblical truth, objective biblical truth from God. Take up the word of God with all prayer and petition. So in other words, pray in accordance with the Bible. You know who's a great model of this? Daniel. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel's been a prisoner for almost 70 years in Babylon. In a pagan court. Somehow, in God's grace and providence, Daniel got his hands on Scripture, the Old Testament. Probably the Torah from Moses, and we know for sure the book of Jeremiah, a contemporary of his, the book of Jeremiah. And in Daniel chapter 9, at the beginning of the chapter, it says, uh, Daniel said, yeah, I was having my Bible study, and I was reading the Scriptures, and I read in the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 25, chapter 29, 
Here's what God said. And so I prayed accordingly. He literally focused his mind on Scripture and prayed in sync with the Bible. That's how you should pray. You pray Scripture. That's what we do. You pray Scripture, and in keeping with truth, God will answer your prayer. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. I'll leave that one for you at home and lunch. That will bless your socks off. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. It's almost unbelievable. Say, God, really? You're really going to answer my prayer and bless me this way? Well, yeah, if you do what it says. So God, Jesus said, that will I do. If you pray according to my word, I'll do it. I mean, just that's a good exercise to think, stop, pray, or think Christian and meditate. Okay, uh, what are some amazing, awesome requests to specific prayers that I have had in the last week, the last month, the last year, the last five years? That's always a good practice. Because then, And you can write it down and make a journal. And then you go back and look, man, yeah, I forgot about that. Look what God did. This was awesome. And there's no other way to explain it. It's not coincidence. It wasn't just circumstance. I couldn't have done that myself. God did this. He intervened for me. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. We should be doing that. Count your blessings one by one. Answered prayer. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. How about that answered prayer this week? Of saints, believers around the world since 1973, praying that somehow God would intervene and stop uh, the abuse of the Constitution of the United States, which is the law of the land. The Constitution is the law of the land, of our land. And Romans 13 says, obey the law of the land. And there's not much in the Constitution that is in conflict with the Bible. Actually, hardly any of it is. So we can, with a clear conscience, submit to the Constitution of the United States. Nowhere in the, the Constitution does it say that you, it doesn't mention the word abortion. It doesn't say you can uh, murder a baby. It's not in there. So in 1973, Roe versus Wade should never have been passed in the first place. And we've seen a million babies slaughtered ever since across the nation since then. And then Amendment 10 says, if the issue is not in the Constitution, and abortion is not, then it's to be left to the states and the people. Okay, that's good. That makes sense. And that actually complies with Romans 13. So you can think of all these Christians praying since 1973 uh, that God would intervene and overrule Roe v. Wade. And I, I'm 55, and I, oh, ye of little faith, I thought that's never going to happen. It's never going to be overruled in my lifetime. And it was this week. Newsflash, if you haven't been watching the news. <laughs> it's like, yeah, so the Supreme Court overruled Roe v. Wade. So that is cause for celebration, but at the same time, just so you know, it doesn't mean that uh, it puts a stop to slaughter of babies in this country. All it does is appropriately puts the issue of abortion back to the individual 50 states, and the, the states and the people in those states have to decide what are we going to do about the abortion issue. Unfortunately, you live in California. But anyway, uh, keep praying. The battle is not over. But that's huge. I believe that's an answer to prayer. And that, that kind of prayer is praying for the sky's the limit. You know, some people that are gifted with the gift of faith, they're great prayer warriors. They pray for stuff I would never think of praying. No, you can't pray like that. That's too big. That's like a mountain. You can't move a mountain. Whoa, oh, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus said you could move a mountain with a little bit of faith. McManus, obviously, you don't have the gift of faith. You're a pastor. You just keep teaching the Bible, and I'll pray for you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. 
So we pray according to truth. Uh, prayer is clearly modeled, number three. Uh, you can put Luke 11 and Matthew 6, put them together. There's no better example or model in prayer than Jesus right there in the Gospels. Here is how you do it. And that's a, that's a model of prayer. It's not supposed to be a memorized incantation that you spew out. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily Lord and forgive us as we give those who get that's exact, that's Ironically, that's doing what Jesus said to not do before the prayer in Matthew 6. He said, don't repeat with your many meaningless words like the Gentiles. Rather, pray this model. Start out giving God his due, adoration, thanksgiving, confession of sin, getting right with God, and then asking him for help and protection from Satan. In the name of Jesus Christ. At the end of your prayer, if you say, in the name of Jesus Christ, that's a good thing. It's modeled. Jesus modeled it uh, in that didactically in Matthew 6 and Luke 5. But he also modeled it in his life. Just two verses. Uh, Mark 135 says that early in the morning, Jesus went away to pray early in the morning. So he routinely prayed early in the morning. And then uh, Luke 5.16, as was his habit, Jesus routinely got away, got away from the people, from the crowd, uh, as was his habit. That's what it says, as was his habit. It was routine. This was his discipline. This was his spiritual discipline. That's what this prayer should be, a spiritual discipline. As was his habit, as was his model, as was his pattern, as was his routine, as what he did every single day, like we all should Pray like Jesus. He got away, isolated himself, and he prayed to the Father. So it's clearly modeled. Uh, Anna, Luke chapter 2, a model of prayer. She never left the temple, always serving night and day with prayers. I could go on and on. Number four, uh, prayer is an act of worship. Prayer is an act of worship. John 4, the Father is seeking what? He's not seeking, first and foremost, occupants for heaven. Are you an occupant of heaven? Yes. I became an occupant of heaven on uh, November 1st in 1985 when I said the sinner's prayer, I became an occupant of heaven. Well, that's not really God's perspective. Yeah, you're going to heaven. But what is, and even child of God, you are a child of God, but what is the father seeking? Uh, he is seeking, and this is unique because you've got human children and human fathers, but what's unique in John 4 is what is the father seeking? He is seeking worshipers. He is seeking worshipers. That's what Jesus said. The Father is seeking worshipers. He wants worshipers. What is prayer? It is worship. What should we, do? we be doing in this life? Worshiping God through prayer. What are we going to do for all eternity in heaven? Worship God. That never changes. It's an act of worship. Hannah, 1 Samuel chapter 2. Boy, if you can read that prayer of Hannah. Ever, man, if I was a Christian woman, well, I can't say that. I would encourage every Christian woman to Frequently read 1 Samuel chapter 2, the short prayer of Hannah. Maybe even write that out, print it out, put it on the wall, memorize that. That is just, it's, it's one of my favorite prayers in the Bible. This is a woman. This is a soon-to-be mother. She ended up being a mother of six. You talk about a hard life. She had a hard life more than most of us. Yet she loved God. And when she had a problem... As far as we know, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 10, 1 Samuel chapter 2, as far as we know, when she had a problem, her first inclination wasn't to whine and complain about it. It was to pray to God about it. That was her prayer life. 
as she was in anguish and tears, crying out to God, asking for help. And then she said this amazing prayer in 1 Samuel chapter. And it is just low. It is personal. It is intimate. It is awesome. Uh, it just so happens to be inspired. But the theology of it, it's weighty. She knew the character of God. Uh, number five, true prayer shows our dependence. It reveals our faith. We're a dependent people. We need God. It's one of the reasons we pray. We need his help. 1 Samuel 1.10, Hannah, greatly distressed, prayed to Yahweh and wept bitterly. Why did she pray? Because she was dependent upon her God. Listen to this, Hebrews 5.7. This is Jesus in his incarnation for 33 years. This was characteristic of his life, even though we don't get a whole lot of this in the Gospels or a glimpse of it, but we do here in Hebrews 5.7 about Jesus. In the days of his flesh, for 33 years basically is what it means, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up both prayers and supplications to the Father with loud crying and tears. I mean, we can't even imagine that. No wonder he had to get away. And be, that's embarrassing. Well, what's that howling noise? Somebody's wailing. What's the wail? Who's crying? What is going on? That's Jesus. The Bible calls him a man of sorrows. Uh, number six, prayer is di biblical prayer is diverse. It's not one-dimensional. That's typical of pagan prayer. Jesus said that in Matthew 6. What's pagan prayer? Hinduism. You get a mantra, a transcendental meditation. You go through the ceremony. They give you a secret, uh, whoever your guru leader is, he gives you in your secret ceremony, and then he whispers in your ear your new mantra that you uh, pray on the rest of your life. It's one word. It's the name of a Hindu deity. The most famous one is Om, O-M. And you, during your prayer time, two times a day, 20 minutes a day, in the lotus position by yourself, you pray that mantra over and over and over again, om, 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 preferably for hours on end to empty your brain of all thinking, to deaden your thought life. That's what it is. That is the antithesis of biblical prayer. That's what the pagans do. It's not new with transcendental meditation. It's been around for thousands of years. Jesus was directly attacking that one-dimensional pagan prayer. Man, Biblical prayer is so rich because it's conversational. It's a conver it's a relationship. So just listen to this list of some elements about biblical prayer. There's private prayer, personal prayer, corporate prayer, public prayer, long prayers, short prayers, simple prayers, complex prayers, structured prayers, poetic, rhythmic, and artistic prayers, written and composed prayers, memorized prayers, Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4, the Lord, the Lord our God is one. That was a prayer. It was memorized. All the Jews had it memorized. It's a good prayer. So there were memorized prayers. There were spontaneous prayers, new prayers, prayers with music, prayers with song, audible, spoken out loud prayers, silent prayers of the heart and mind that only God knows, prayers anywhere on earth at any time of the day, let alone we could talk about the postures of prayer as uh, um, Saul led, um, or Solomon led his nation in prayer, First Kings 8, the dedication of the temple, said as he, as he looked to heaven and raised his hands. That's how he prayed. First Timothy, uh, the men of God in the church, raise holy hands as you pray for your people. You're welcoming God, dependent upon God, uh, on your knees, on your face, so all those different postures of prayer. 
number seven, what does prayer do? Biblical prayer measures maturity. It's a barometer of our faith. Like uh, Hannah, her first inclination was to turn to God, not human solutions. Number eight, prayer is a biblical command. Psalm 32.6 says this, let everyone who is godly pray. Isn't that interesting that that would have to be a command? Because you would think that everyone was godly would pray, but we don't. We're weak. We need the reminder. Let everyone who is godly pray. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing, never stop. Philippians 4.6, in all things pray, and pray in all kinds of different ways. First with adoration towards God, and then all those other kinds of prayers of not just adoration where it starts with God, but confession, supplication, petition, thanksgiving, imprecation, asking for God's wrath on evil on the world, conversation in our prayer, and then also questions, interrogation, wrestling with God in prayer, asking God, God, why is this the case? How can I get through this? Why did you do this? Why is this happening? That's in the Psalms all over the place. And then finally, this is a good one. This is good to end on and go to lunch. Biblical prayer is efficacious. That's a big word. Uh, what does it mean? Biblical prayer is effective. Uh, biblical prayer, it works. That's what it means. Prayer changes things. That should be a bumper sticker. It is. Prayer, prayer changes things. It's effective. It works. Uh, prayer moves God. Can, whoa. Prayer moves the sovereign God of the universe to action. Biblical prayer does. And then James 5.13, put it down. Prayer is efficacious. Uh, the prophet there, Elijah, he was, uh, he was a sinner just like you and me. And yet he prayed in faith, in keeping with God's will, and then God honored that prayer in an amazing way and it stopped raining for three and a half years. I'm like, well, I can't pray that way. No, no, you can pray that way. Uh, not necessarily about the weather whenever you want it, but the idea is that uh, God does amazing things through his people if you believe in faith and you're in keeping with his will. So you look back and say, wow, God did that. Wow, God brought this church together and merged it, and now we have this beautiful campus with two uh, local bodies joined together. That, that is miraculous. I couldn't even imagine that. That's beyond what I ever thought, imagined, could conceive of. God did that. God, so prayer is biblically, it is efficacious, changes things. Uh, Jesus said, ask and it shall be given. Ask and it shall be given. You do not have because you do not ask. And sometimes when you do ask, you ask with wrong motives. So don't, don't ask, don't pray with wrong motives. Also when you pray, don't pray with doubting because don't think that anybody who doubts God will receive anything. So don't ask with wrong motives. Don't pray with, with a doubting heart. And don't pray contrary to Scripture. And don't pray with some hidden sin in your life. So I know that was quick and we just scratched the surface. But my heart's desire and prayer is that all of us are motivated afresh and anew with uh, recent vital thoughts from God's Word about prayer. And that we can see that in action. So with that, I would like to invite all of you to church prayer tonight at 6 o'clock. And what you can do, you can come here on the campus from 6 to 7, and all we do is just get around and we pray for one hour. Or you can host one in your home, make it nice and convenient for one hour, 6 to 7. We have a home, uh, as we mentioned earlier, that's uh, in Fremont tonight. Uh, we used to do the Zoom prayer, but 
now we're able to get together in person. So uh, it'd be awesome. Last month, I think we had like 21 people come on a Sunday night. That's great. I was thankful for every one of those people. Uh, let's see if we have more. By the way, after uh, doing this in a few churches over 30 years, the monthly prayer thing, at big churches, little churches, city churches, country churches, the, the monthly prayer thing at all these churches that I was a part of for over 30 years, there was a common denominator. It's, it's only a small fraction, a remnant of people who come regularly to the church prayer meetings. So it's not just a CBC Creekside problem. It was at every church that I was at, Southern California, Northern California, uh, Utah, where else have I lived, Texas, a couple countries I've been to, pastors at other countries, I, I talked to them, oh, you have that same problem? I thought that was a California problem. This is a Ukraine problem or a Russia problem or a, wherever I was. It's just a small fraction, a remnant of people who regularly come to the church prayer meeting for some reason. And I have concluded that the regulars who keep coming to prayer regularly, faithfully, consistently over years, these are probably people who have the spiritual gift of faith that's mentioned in Corinthians. Faith, they believe God at his word. They believe he's going to do great things. So the people who come consistently are either those with the gift of faith or it's those who are regularly in the word, meditating on the Bible. Because uh, Romans 10 says, faith comes by hearing the word of God. If you are neglecting the word of God, your faith is going to be like that hot tomato plant in the sun that just cowers over. Doesn't have any water. Limp. So there's just some last minute thoughts. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we do thank you for today, our time of worship together. Uh, a full week and even a full day. We give you all the glory. You are such a good God. Thank you for all these reminders about prayer and how you want to meet with your people. You want us to talk to you and you want to speak to us through your word. So, God, we thank you for that blessed invitation to go regularly before the throne of grace. Help us to do that. Stir up the Holy Spirit inside of us. Help us to be encouraged by other believers, to stimulate us to love and good deeds like uh, the work of prayer. We commit it all to you. We pray in Christ's name. Thank you for listening. For more information about Creekside Bible Church, please visit our website at creeksidebiblechurch.com.